Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town and uh, I want to warmly welcome you to our online service Church at Home and I hope very much by the grace of God that our Bible talk this morning will be a blessing to you as you continue in fellowship with your local church. Uh, if, you're not if you're not involved in a local church and want to find more about the various ministries at St Barnabas then please do visit our website www.sbbc.org.za and if you'd like one of us on the staff to contact you uh, please do leave your contact details on the contact tab on the home page. But now I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark and uh, I'm going to be reading from chapter 1 and verse 1 the gospel of Mark chapter 1 beginning at verse 1 the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ the son of God it is written in Isaiah the prophet I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him and so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey and this was his message after me will come one more powerful than I the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie I baptise you with water but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit well let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word Heavenly Father we thank you for your word which points us to your son the Lord Jesus for it is in him that we find strength for the weak compassion for the needy and help for the hurting so please draw near to us by your spirit through your word that we might see Jesus and find the help that we need for it is in his name that we ask it Amen. Well this is a terrific moment for you to be joining us because this morning we are starting on page 1, chapter 1 and verse 1 of Mark's Gospel in a brand new series. The reason we're doing this is because of something that a man called C.S. Lewis wrote a number of years ago in a book called The Problem of Pain. Now this is what he said, quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. C.S. Lewis says that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now significantly he wrote those words in 1940 when the world was suffering the agonies of the Second World War 
And many people were asking, well, if God is there, where is he? Has God got anything to say about this awful situation? And today, 80 years later, as the coronavirus sweeps around the world, millions of people are in pain. Many of them are asking the same questions. So if C.S. Lewis was right, and pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world, what is it that God wants us to hear? Well, the answer, in a word, is the Gospel. And in our series, I hope to show you why. The title of our series is Hear the Call of the Kingdom. And I do hope, as we read Mark's Gospel together, that many of you will hear God calling you personally. That you will meet Jesus Christ in a way that is utterly life-transforming. And that by the end you'll be saying to yourself, and I hope to other people, I am just so thankful that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. I also want to ask you to pray for our series. You may be someone who's been quite disappointed by sermons and often come away frustrated. You might be someone who's come away from Sundays feeling completely cold. But I want to urge us to get back to what used to happen, which is that people who came to listen pray before they listened. So please will you pray before you listen. And let's pray that God would be so good to us that he would cause his word to fall with fresh meaning on us so that we see Jesus for who he is and understand what that actually means for us as we try to navigate our way through this global catastrophe of the coronavirus. Now, very quick uh, background to Mark's Gospel. We're not going to take too much time on this, but obviously Mark is one of four Gospels, or as we might say, four reports, or what Calvin very cleverly called four public records. But Matthew, Mark and Luke and John would never have thought of themselves as giving us four different Gospels. They would have said there is only one Gospel. And Mark, in his account, uh, gives us nothing of Christmas and actually very little of Easter. So Mark will be no help at all to those people who only go to church at Christmas and Easter. Instead, Mark gives us the person of Christ, that is, who he is, and the work of Christ, what he did on the cross. That is Mark's message. Uh, who is Jesus? What did he do? John Mark, the man who wrote this book, was a first century missionary with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And uh, tradition tells us that he was also a personal friend of the Apostle Peter. And what happened was that Peter reported to Mark what Peter had seen and experienced during his three years with Jesus, during Jesus' ministry on earth. So Mark was the secretary or the typist for the Apostle Peter. Now this morning we're just looking at the first eight verses and uh, my objective is really just to be your tour guide. Uh, if you've ever been to an art gallery or a museum and been taken round by a guide, if that guide was doing their job properly, 
they would be drawing your attention to what's important so that you get the big picture and they wouldn't confuse you with lots of secondary details. So this morning we're not going to get diverted by the secondary details because what I want to do is show you the big ideas in the passage and I hope that will cause you to be amazed at Jesus Christ. Indeed, if that were to happen, I would be delighted. It's been my prayer all week. So we're going to look at these first eight verses of Mark under just two headings. First, what does the text say? And second, what does the text mean? So, what does the text say? Well, come with me again to chapter 1 and verse 1, where we read, The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, when Mark introduces Jesus, what he wants you to know is that there was a huge build-up to his arrival. He wants you to know that behind the arrival of Jesus on earth was God himself. So look at the first two words of the book. Mark writes, the beginning. Now in the original, that phrase is just one word, which could be translated either as the beginning or this is the beginning. Now what does that remind you of? Well, I guess it will remind you of the beginning of the whole Bible in the book of Genesis. And it's no accident that Mark starts off like this because he knows how the Old Testament begins. So listen to how one writer describes it. I found this one of the most astonishing things I read in preparation for our series. He says this, and I quote, The coming of Jesus is no less momentous than the creation of the world because a new creation is at hand. So, as Mark gets ready to write his Gospel, he's basically saying this is the beginning. It's the beginning of the renewal or the remaking of creation because Jesus is coming. It is a huge event. And I do hope you'll keep this in mind as you think of Jesus because the same God who worked creation is now coming to work salvation. So this word beginning in verse 1 is a loaded word. It's not as though Mark is saying, well, let's make a start, let's get going, here's an introduction. No, he's saying that the coming of Christ is on a par with the creation of everything. In fact, we might even say that the coming of Christ is greater than creation because Jesus Christ is going to take everything that is so fallen and messed up and broken and he's going to renew it. The, the word gospel is familiar to us because, of course, we talk about Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel. But uh, in Mark's day, uh, gospel was not the religious word it's become today. Uh, we're used to hearing it translated as announcement uh, or good news and both of those are technically correct neither of them really capture the atmosphere of the word in the original so I think it's better to think of gospel as a media word that means something like hard news 
Now today, uh, Soft News reports human interest stories to entertain us. Uh, things like who's going to be the next captain of the Proteus test side or what are Harry and Meghan going to do to earn a living now they've separated from the royal family or how to lose 10 kilograms without dieting. All these things are interesting but they're not really life-changing. By contrast, hard news reports significant events that affect everybody stay at home to avoid, to avoid infection would be the obvious example today. Soft news, you see, makes no demands of us. But hard news demands a serious response. And that is what Mark means when he talks about the gospel. He's saying this is an announcement about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it has consequences for everybody. Please take it seriously. You probably know that the word Jesus comes from the Hebrew Joshua, meaning God saves. And it's very fitting that Jesus would be the true Joshua because the Old Testament Joshua took God's people into the promised land. And now Jesus the new Joshua is going to take God's people into God's kingdom. He's going to take them into the kingdom the moment they believe and he's going to take them into the presence of God eventually. The word Christ means Messiah and it's not a name, it's a, it's a role or a job description. So Jesus will do the Messiah's work which is rescuing God's people and he's also the son of God because he fulfills all the Old Testament predictions. So when in the Old Testament uh, God said, I said to my son, sit on the throne, or I said to my son, you will rule forever, or I said to my son, I will put all your enemies under your feet, he was talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Now friends, all of that is in verse 1 and there's even more we could say about it. But uh, you can see that Mark wants us to meet Jesus and yet we don't actually meet him in the first eight verses. Because before that, we're going to meet the person who introduces him and that person is John the Baptist. So come with me to verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came. So John the Baptist is both a messenger and a voice. And uh, although Mark says uh, this is written in Isaiah and uh, he gives us a couple of quotes, the other quotes actually come from a couple of other different places in the Old Testament. But Mark groups them together under Isaiah's name because Isaiah was the earliest and the most important of the prophets that he's quoting. 
Now this is interesting because Mark doesn't actually quote the Old Testament very much. The other Gospel writers quote the Old Testament a great deal more than Mark. And the reason for that is that Mark was writing for non-Jews. Mark is not writing primarily for Jews who know their Bibles. He's writing for Gentiles who don't know their Bibles. And therefore, when he does quote from the Old Testament, it's because it's unusually important. So here, he gives us a quotation that predicts the coming of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is basically the last in the, the lineup or the relay of Old Testament prophets. And he stands out from the rest because he quite literally gets to point with his finger to the Lord Jesus. The other prophets could point to Jesus with their words, but John can point to Jesus literally with his finger and say, look over there in the marketplace, there is Jesus, the Lamb of God. And because uh, John gets to do this very specific and very literal work, Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest. Not because John is greater uh, morally or spiritually or intellectually, but just because he enjoys the unique privilege of pointing people to Jesus in person. Now in verse 3, we're told he's going to tell people get ready for the Lord now that's a phrase that comes from Isaiah chapter 40 now if you were to go back and read um, Isaiah 40 well first of all it would do you a power of good so if you don't know what to do this afternoon and you're, you're thinking well I really would like to read something that's going to warm my heart at this difficult time and that's going to stretch my mind well, read Isaiah 40, because it is a magnificent chapter. But if you do read Isaiah 40, which is all about the Lord, you'll discover that the Lord that Isaiah was writing about, now listen to this, gathers the lambs in his arms, holds the earth in his hands, sits enthroned above the earth, has no equal or anyone that you can compare him to. He's the God of the universe. And John says, get ready for his coming. And then in walks Jesus. So I don't know how people, and especially the people in the religious cults, which uh, all deny that Jesus is God, I don't know how they can escape the obvious. Because here's John the Baptist basically saying, you need to get ready for the Lord, the Lord of the world, the Lord of the universe. And then Jesus appears. And uh, Jesus then does everything that you would expect God to do. Uh, he controls storms, he heals, he raises, he forgives, he blesses. Now I don't want to trivialise this, but um, I wonder if you've seen the movie Mr Bean. And I'm thinking of the one where Mr. Bean is given the job of looking after an extremely valuable portrait. And uh, he accidentally sneezes on the painting, uh, takes out his handkerchief and starts to try and clear up the mess. But of course he ruins the painting in the process. And he decides to repaint the portrait. 
and the result of course is ridiculous but that of course is what lots of people are doing mentally with the picture of Jesus they repaint him so that Jesus is what they would like him to be but when you go back to the masterpiece which is right here in the Gospel of Mark it is spellbinding and it is wonderful now you'll notice in verses 4 and 5 that John gets people to go to the desert sounds rather odd to us but you see that's because the desert was the place where God took his people Israel to get them ready for the promised land Uh, the desert was the place where God taught his people to trust him and to obey him now that's what John the Baptist is doing here he's taking the people away from their homes away from their jobs away from their hobbies and all the things that might distract us and basically he's saying come out to the desert start thinking about what really matters think about your eternal destiny do business with God that's what John the Baptist is doing and the people flock out to him all of Jerusalem apparently partly I think because he's broken the drought of hundreds of years of silence from God Uh, no one has brought a powerful word from God since the prophet Malachi and that was 400 years before but the other reason they go out to hear John is because they actually want to be a part of whatever it is that God's about to do and they recognise that John is a real prophet partly because he speaks with tremendous authority um, an authority that no one can manufacture with a microphone it's a God-given authority which God stamps with his power and the other thing of course is that John is wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey so he looks strange and his diet is even stranger but according to the Old Testament and specifically the prophecy of Zechariah this is the mark of the true prophet clothes made with camel's hair and the whole picture the the food and the clothing show us that here we have someone who doesn't really belong to this world this is someone very very different someone whose appearance and focus is just not anchored in this world because of course John is interested in the kingdom and the kingdom that Jesus is bringing about why then does John baptise people? well the Jews used to sometimes baptise non-Jews who wanted to convert to Judaism but John seems to be doing something original it's as if he's saying to the Jews you people who think you belong you also need a new start with God just like everyone else you need to be clean you need to be holy you need to be right with God you need to be washed you need to be completely reborn and uh, the Jordan River is also significant because that's the river the Israelites crossed when they first entered the promised land and the Jordan River of course was the setting for the ministry of Elijah and Elisha and uh, John the Baptist 
not only looks exactly like Elijah but his message is the same so can you see that all of the threads in these first verses are all pointing to something highly significant it's all grounded in the Old Testament and it's all pointing to Jesus but if you think on the basis of that that uh, John the Baptist is thinking highly of himself just have a look at verse 7 because he says in verse 7 after me will come one more powerful than I the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie you probably know that the Jewish slave was not expected to stoop so low as to carry shoes or wash feet and John says to touch the shoes of Jesus would be too high for me forget about stooping low I couldn't even reach up to touch his shoes says John normally I would refuse to touch sandals but in his case I don't deserve to touch his sandals and John's not trying to be super humble at this point he's just trying to explain what he understands about the stature of Jesus and when it comes to being powerful look at what he says in verse 8 he says don't look at these vast crowds in the desert and put me on a pedestal because the only thing that I can do for you is make you wet I can baptise you with water I can get a bucket and tip it over you that's all I can do for you and that's just how powerful I am but he, says John he will do it inside you he'll wash you he'll put new life in you he'll give you the Holy Spirit so John knows his limitations he can only do outward external things it's Jesus who's going to do the inward work of washing and renewing and that friends is, is just a tiny picture really of those first eight verses a little bit of what the text actually says and we're not going to say any more about it this morning because I want to finish by thinking about what this actually means what are we meant to do with these eight verses because they only give us the preparation uh, Jesus doesn't appear until the next verse so next Sunday we do suddenly come face to face with Jesus but I do hope you agree with me that the preparation in these first eight verses is pretty spectacular and the more you think about it the more impressive it is uh, even the, the messenger has got good Old Testament credentials so this remarkable pointing of the Bible demands a response from us now recently I've been uh, reading a book by Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter uh, maybe some of you've read it published actually for the first time a long time ago but it's been republished and updated several times since sold something like 15 million copies worldwide a friend of mine read it as a young Christian and when he got to the end he found himself thinking you've got to be an idiot not to be a Christian because the evidence is just so compelling and uh, one of the details that really stands out in the book is that um, Josh McDowell points out that if you add up all the Old Testament predictions of Jesus there are about 330 of them 
and he says using mathematical probability if you were to pick just 48 of those uh, predictions like he's got to come from the family of Abraham uh, tribe of Judah uh, line of David uh, born in Bethlehem betrayed by a close friend pierced in hands and feet so on Josh McDowell says if you were to take just 48 of those and try and find someone who would fulfill all of them you're looking at a probability of 1 in 10 to the power of 157 so to find someone who fulfills just 48 of those predictions is a probability of 1 in 10 and then add 157 zeros he says that after that that to find someone who fulfills just eight of those prophecies is a probability of one in ten to the power of seventeen. And he says if you want to know what that looks like, uh, go and find ten to the power of seventeen silver dollars and spread them across the state of Texas. And that would be a carpet of silver dollars two feet high across the entire state and then he says get somebody to mark off just one of those coins somewhere in Texas then blindfold a man and get him to walk across Texas and somewhere along the way pick up the single silver dollar that's been marked and the probability of picking up that exact coin is 1 in 10 to the power of 17 and to find a person who can fulfil just 8 of the 330 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament is 1 in 10 to the power of 17 and yet Jesus fulfills not just 8 of them but all 330 now friends wherever you stand on Christian things this morning you've got to agree that the evidence is potent now if the uh, preparation for the coming of Jesus is so extraordinary can I say that the response we need to give him needs to be serious it needs to be real because we're not playing a little game here this is not a shallow superficial religious exercise for a few people who like that sort of thing no we're talking about someone who comes into the world and changes the whole of history and changes people's lives and therefore our response needs to be serious we don't have to invent Jesus he's already come we certainly don't want to try and change him because that would be idolatry what we need to do is face him and eventually embrace him but how are we going to face Jesus when the gulf between him and us is infinite after all he's God and we're not he's holy and we are stained with sin and evil how can we possibly embrace him and John's answer is repent for people in the first century as for people in the 21st century the answer to that question is exactly the same repent and what that means is you've got to put away all of your resistance by nature all of us are hostile to Jesus we have an inbuilt resistance against him and what we've got to do is consciously put that to one side and we have to make a decisive break 
with anything or any evil or any person who keeps us from trusting Jesus. You know, there are plenty of different lifestyles today which our culture celebrates, but which do actually stand in the way of people coming to Jesus. And that's a problem. Actually, it's far more than a problem. It's a tragedy because it's an eternal tragedy if you miss out on coming to Jesus. Now, when I think about repentance in my own mind, this is what it looks like. Um, I'm either kneeling by my desk or I'm sitting in my study and I'm saying to Jesus, whatever has to go, goes. Whatever needs to be done, will be done. And that's what repentance means. Now, of course, if the gulf between Jesus and us is infinite, then it's pretty obvious that even my repentance is not going to be adequate to bridge the gulf. Repentance is just preparation. It is essential. But the bridging of the gulf is done by Jesus. And he comes in in great power and mercy and he bridges the gulf. Someone who understood the enormity of this was the astronaut James Irwin. And he said this. He said, it's a minor issue that I have walked on the moon. It is a major issue that the Son of God has walked on the earth. And it's not only that Jesus came into the world, which is extraordinary, but that he came to die, to make peace, to bring healing, to deal with our guilt, and to provide a perfect bridge. That, of course, was Jesus' mission, and that's what Jesus himself says in chapter 10 of Mark's book he says I've not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many in other words I haven't come to wipe out the coronavirus I haven't come to reverse global warming I haven't come to make you comfortable I've actually come to make you slightly uncomfortable so that you will see and feel your sins in order that you bring them to Christ so that he will forgive them so that he will wash you clean he will make you new now friends surely these times we're living in right now are times when we want a deep ministry both in ourselves and in our friends and family we don't want a superficial religious makeover that lasts for a few days or a few weeks and then fades away can I say that that kind of thing is extremely dangerous because it's actually an inoculation against the message God wants us to hear and next time you hear it, you won't really listen. So friends, the message that God wants us to hear, wants the whole world to hear, is that Jesus is the solution to man's greatest problem. And God wants us to go to Jesus for that solution, to embrace him, to find that he washes us clean and gives us a brand new life. And if you will take this journey with us through the Gospel of Mark, asking God to show you the truth about Jesus and the truth about yourself, I believe you will want to do just that. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us. 
Our gracious God, we thank you for the riches in your word. We ask you to forgive us for the times when we have skimmed carelessly through it. We ask that you would continue to open blind eyes and deaf ears and cause us to see wonderful things in your word. And as we see them, we pray that you would give us a heart that is fully surrendered to you and filled with your spirit and joyful in your service, devoted to Jesus and grateful for salvation. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.